Good evening. You are listening to a Rad Legend Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm the birthday boy. Mr. Mark Radledge, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. And tonight, our favorite show is We Own This City, yo. Jesse Starcher, We Own This City. It's Baltimore, yo. You picked up for a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they gave you the crust back as change. <laughs> we are, our favorite show tonight is We Own This City. Uh, which is a mini-series that took place, uh, it was aired on HBO. It is based on the nonfiction book of the same name by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton. Uh, it was developed and written by George Pelicanos and David Simon of Everyone Take a Drink and Mark It on Your Bingo Card, The Wire fame. It was not directed by... Reference, not the last reference we'll be making to The Wire this evening. Um, we're going to play, this is my birthday party, everybody. This is my birthday party. I'm 46 years old today, 46 years young. And I'm, and I, first of all, let me just take a moment to acknowledge that I would not, I would not want to spend my birthday with anybody else except for my two loves, Robert Winfrey and Jesse Starcher, the wise men of the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, the two of three legs of the stool that holds this entire operation up. I am pleased as punch, honored and humbled to be with such esteemed gentlemen and best friends, Jesse Starcher and Robert Winfrey. Absolutely. Mark Radlich, happy birthday. Let me ask you a question, okay? Yes. 46 today, 26. When you turned 26 years old, what were you doing? 2002. Um, right. I was in grad school. Okay. I mean, so, do you remember right. specifically living... what you were doing on that birthday? Um. I don't know, probably getting drunk. Uh, okay. I was def I was definitely in grad school. I was working for St. Vincent Services, which was a foster care agency in Brooklyn. And I was going to Fordham University in Columbus Circle, Manhattan for my graduate degree in social work. Uh, and I was partying with Chuck. Yo, Chuck, where are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Being Chuck. <laughs> me and chuck uh after work because he worked at, i he may have still been working for caroline records at the time so we would hit up all the concerts and everything in the in the five pros of new york or i was going dancing or um uh at either goth industrial clubs in manhattan or on long island uh i can tell you this <laughs> i was i was doing a lot of partying back then definitely doing a lot of partying okay. fair enough fair enough June. Well, what's interesting about this is June second, mm -hmm. two thousand two, The Wire debuts. What do you think of that? <laughs> Very Are you first. I'm not shitting you, sir. No, that's true. It is the first day uh, that uh, the first episode debuted June second, two thousand two, the first season. You just Isn't added something. You added another hour to this podcast where Mark will now insist we do a celebration of The Wire. 
<laughs> here's the only thing holding me back because you're not wrong. But here's the only <laughs> thing holding me. Here's the only thing holding me back from just derailing this entire podcast and only filleting the wire. Um, Jesse and I have five episodes of from uh, of our special TV party from the corner to the deuce where we'll be going through each season of the wire. I'll have plenty of time to do that then. Yes, you will. In in but... vascular form, will you be filleting, sir? <laughs> <laughs> it 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 I tell you, it, Keep using it does that my word heart. in that context. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> this is gonna be a fun hour. Um I'll tell you whenever my kids or my wife repeat something that is a known thing that I would say, uh they they will say things the way I will say them. And then I hear you guys do it. It. This is a true statement. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhat doing a bit, but also this is this is for real. It really does. I, I I wonder what impact I've made on people's lives, and would they miss me if I were gone? And to know that I've had that kind of an impact that people totally steal my shit and run with oh, it. Yeah. You know oh, yeah. the fact that you've now heard me do the vascular detail bit for a couple of months now, and you're now stealing it and running with it. I love you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> you make your heart sing. Does, does a heart good, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. There, um, I think the first time Winfrey did it on Damn You Hollywood, not the vascular thing, but he stole something else from me <laughs> where he he totally did one of my bits, and I was like, oh, he said the thing. Um, <laughs> so makes me uh, makes me want to trudge through this mortal coil just one 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 day more. But um, just real quick, because you brought up the wire, I actually didn't watch the wire when it first came out. It took mm -hmm. me. I, I remember I caught it like on a replay, I think, or a rerun um months later and i was like what are all these like elder black men because like it was a scene with daniels the mayor and like and the chief of police i'm like who are all these old black actors and why are they all on screen at the same time and they're not wearing military uniforms what is this and i was i was immediately and i was like immediately hooked i had to go back and rewatch it from the beginning so and I was a, I've been a lifelong David Simon fan ever since, and that's why we're we're doing what a, the show. What tonight. a bit of kismet, though! What a bit of like destiny yeah. for it to be your birthday and for that show mm -hmm. to have debuted and it be your favorite show of all time. It's great stuff. <laughs> it, it really is. This much, at least, is true. Man is helpless in the face of causality. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're not wrong. All right. So back to we own this city. Um, it was directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. The miniseries details the rise and fall of the Baltimore police department's gun trace task force and the corruption surrounding it the story centers on sergeant wayne jenkins played by john bernthal one of the eight officers who were convicted on various corruption charges in 2018 and 2019 and it follows a non-linear narrative with frequent flashbacks and you know robert that's as good a place to start here because I, I already know what jesse's going to say so i'm going to go to you first um having to deal with the uh with this show and it kind of reminded me of the witcher in that it just suddenly changes time on you and because it's not like it goes to the 70s so the style you know you know you're in a flashback because the style of dress is different the aesthetic is different it's like with only within four or five years so you don't sometimes realize you're in a flashback until two three four episodes into it and you're like okay when they do this we know they're then when they do this we know we're back at this other place um it was it seemed to have frustrated Jesse, and I'll let him speak for himself in just a minute. But what did you think of the constant flashbacks and nonlinear story? Did you think it lended itself to a well-told tale, or was it just a source of frustration for you? I think the point they were making with it is well-made. 
I think there's artistic choices they could have made to make the transitions easier for certain members of the audience. I had no problem following this. Uh, absolutely mm -hmm. none. But I do understand that I am not every audience member. And again, I think there's ways they could have helped that along a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the whole, no, I, I don't hate it, especially because essentially our framing device is the investigation and uh, not full on allocution, but you know, the plea deals that are being made by these uh, corrupt officers. And that's kind of our framing device for telling how we got from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So I, so I think it works uh, as a, as a general rule. I do agree that, you know, you could, there's things you could have done to make this a little bit easier on the audience probably, but uh, didn't bother me one bit. Um, Jesse, you, you wrote me almost as soon as you started watching this that you were having a hard time following the nonlinear storytelling. Um, what was frustrating about it for you? Well, I, there wasn't a... They knew when they were jumping back and forth inside Wayne Jenkins' story to kind of prep you for, okay, hey, we're flashing back because we're going yeah. to write out the actual date that this is happening. Right. Uh, I was going to say, like, it, it should be acknowledged that at least there was some help with this because they would do the run right. sheet thing. Right. Yeah. And that and that was fine. But there were other situations where it felt like they would jump. And I especially at the beginning, I was having a hard time figuring out, OK, is this happening now or is this happening in the past? 2017, right. 2016. When is this taking place? And Winfrey's right. There are ways that they could have maybe spun that, which really the way that I what I started to realize is that, okay, we're with this character because I think one character never, I don't believe it takes place in the present. It's always happening during the, it's the, um, it's civil rights lady. I can't remember, but I need to reload. All right. So hang on. The actress's name is Winmi Mosaku and she's Nicole Steele, an attorney signed to the civil rights division of the department of justice. And she is your, uh screaming agenda liberal like she's a studio she, note she really but, is but yeah we were flipping back and forth and they wouldn't do a, like okay hey this is the past because you it's a different color tone in some way or mm -hmm. something <laughs> i couldn't keep track of it but as the series progressed i didn't have as hard of a time understanding where we were in the narrative and where things were falling in place in the timeline. But I could tell you that first episode, the second episode, I was like, okay, I have to actually actively work to make sure I'm understanding when this stuff is taking place. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't take me out completely. It just made it hard for me to understand where we were at sometimes. Yeah. So the show um, in part deals with, uh, Wayne Jenkins, the gun trace task force, the corruption therein. Um, the Nicole part of it is she's trying to get something called a consent decree passed, signed, what have you. And so she's there. There's the greater co corruption within the Baltimore uh, police force. There's the dealing with the specific corruption of the gun trace task force, the grift that was going on, um, the stealing of drug money, the re the stealing of drugs and reselling of said drugs which they get into um, there's sort of an ethical debate over what is the greater good getting, you know, getting crime down and guns off the street 
or having a police force that upholds the law in every in every way that they can. Um, and I focus on that for just a second so people understand what I'm talking about. There's this idea that there's a character, uh, Herschel, and then there's Wayne Jenkins, and Herschel is uh, played by Josh Charles, and he's a Baltimore Police Department. And, and they, they talk about him having all of these uh, brutality charges. None of them stick. And the thing that is said about him, and it's also said about Wayne, is they get the job done. In a police force that runs the gamut of incompetence to corruption to uh, to just you know, sitting on their hands, here are two cops that take guns off the street, reduce the crime, get the job done. So we're willing to give them a bit of leeway, Robert. We're, living, we're willing to give them a bit of room to operate because we don't want to take them off the street. And the counter argument to that, and this is what you get from the Nicole character, good, bad, or indifferent, is yes, but no police officer should be allowed to uh, just uh, break the law, more specifically break the law that in terms of harming the citizens they're supposed to be protecting. Again, there's specific brutality charges brought against Herschel that are summarily dropped. And that's what she's speaking to throughout the six episodes of this miniseries. I thought, and this is what I want to talk to talk about first, when they were dealing with specifically the corruption within the gun trace task force, I thought the show was working pretty well. Um, we can, we, we can address the fact that John Bernthal is a, just a tremendous actor, underrated, oh, awesome. underappreciated. Like we 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 absolutely loved him in The Punisher, and he's so good in this too. Um, I want to talk specifically about that first episode at the very end, where he's where you know where he's brought in for questioning, and that just his, the acting with his face. But mm -hmm. um, I want to take a breath and let you kind of weigh in here because I because again the, the very basic question. I think the stuff dealing with the gun trace task force is really strong. The stuff dealing with the greater corruption and the sort of weighing the good against the bad, that's mostly Herschel's story. And, you know, and Nicole just trying to get her head wrapped around reducing the um, antagonism between the Baltimore Police Department and the African-American citizens of Baltimore. I don't think that works nearly as well. And I know you feel somewhat the same, so I'll let you speak on it. My issue with the character is... She's not a character. Like, she exists for the editorial point of view. She exists for two purposes. Uh, thank you, Al, my brother. <laughs> okay, well, if, you're, I'm good. if you if you acknowledge the thing on screen, you have to read thing on screen. So, from my brother, is she the Agent Madani of this series? Everyone hates when she's on screen and wants to skip it. She's worse than Madani. Madani sucks. Yeah, yeah. But Madani is... <laughs> Madani is not preachy. Like Madani's just mm -hmm. boring. Okay. Steel is boring. And it, she exists so to have a vehicle for other people to expound to the audience, boy this sucks. <laughs> because we can't have subtext anymore. We must have supertext. Right. We need Treat Williams to in a loud declarative voice go the war on drugs is bad, okay? <laughs> can i tell you i didn't mind those scenes um 
but I, I don't want I don't want to interrupt your flow here. So keep going. But I didn't mind the scenes with Treat Williams talking about his greater frustration with the lost war on drugs. But that might also speak to my own political leanings, which we don't need to get into necessarily. But well, we, if you've if you've done a podcast with me that even touches on drugs, you know that I'm for drug um, decriminalization. So like that that stuff didn't bother me. Here's my issue with it. My issue is not his point of view. Okay. That's a, that's a debate to be had. Right. Fair enough. And we, we can try to figure out, we can sit around together and be intelligent people and try to hash that out and no one mm-hmm. will care, but that, like, that's a debate worth having. <laughs> hey, these two assholes on a podcast figured out the drug thing. We should listen to them. Well, look, we figured out peace <laughs> in the Middle East too. No one cares. It's on a podcast. <laughs> that's not Joe Rogan. Go, go on. <laughs> My issue is the entire structure of it. Mm-hmm. He's not because he's not there to do anything other than preach to the audience yeah. vicariously through the character of Steele. That's it. She's there to wring her hands over. You don't think Trump will win, do you? Oh, let me clutch my pearls and retire to the fainting couch. <laughs> yeah, I struggled it's, with that, too. That's my problem with it. Like, that's why she's there. She's there for the pure editorialization of various points of view. And there was a time within all of our lifetimes, gentlemen, when that could be left to subtext. Yeah. Can I, I I don't want to keep drawing comparisons to the wire because we'll be here for five hours if I do that. But, and I, and I brought this up um, when I was talking to Sean about Stonewall the other night. And that is, (laughs) 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 what the wire does well and what it does better than this show and definitely in spades does better than stonewall jesse is that the wire was a vehicle for telling the story about the antagonism between the people of baltimore and the police force through the lens of the drug uh the drug war it says the drug war is this corrupting influence it makes uh, impoverished people without resources retreat into this like almost animalistic state. It makes the cops corrupt. It makes them brutal. It makes everyone dehumanize each other. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, you don't have people anymore. You just have these warring factions tearing each other down. That was the mm-hmm. wire. But the wire did a lot of that with subtext. It yeah, didn't yeah. have to state yeah. it outright. There wasn't a big, brining, shining neon light on the Vegas strip going girls, 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 drugs, 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 Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. It was, this is inherent in the subject. It made you have to be kind of a smart person and read between the lines. My problem with, we, with, we, uh, I want, now I want to say we built the city. We own this city is it's a nice story. It's an interesting story. If you like this sort of thing, but as Robert's pointing out, and I want to see, you know, what your thoughts on this are, is that it tends to assume you're a fucking idiot and can't and can't get the subtext of hey cops beating on black people is bad hey cops beating on gay people is bad hey cops beating on anyone is bad like we get it <laughs> it's not right like one out of a hundred people watching this show going i don't understand you get you got to hit a black person upside the head once in a while i get it yeah like, look one one out of a hundred you don't need it shouted from the rooftops in the middle of the show Right, right. Um, I kept wondering to myself, and I asked you guys in this chat, and and luckily Winfrey replied and agreed, but I I said, you know, 
does she factor do any factor into the plot at all and she does not no uh, she doesn't she does you not could do... completely remove that character yes. and yeah. instantly make this show better that's the thing you, like she I, I want to let you finish, but like the whole consent decree thing doesn't change anything. By the time that it happens, if it happens at all, it's kind of it's kind of season four of the wire where like they want to do the pilot program and the school's like no, but like, but it would help people. Like it might, but we're not doing it anyway. And you're like, okay, this has no effect on anything. It was kind of like that. Like it it doesn't come as a result of the investigation. It doesn't affect the police department in any way. It just like eh. <laughs> the, the only thing that I could say is that what you get at the end of her arc is that it's just a complete defeat for yeah. her. She did no good, not for the show, nor for the, the city of Baltimore. <laughs> but you were she, completely ineffectual, madam. You were, and that, and I guess that in a, is a statement in of itself. Is like mm-hmm. she, no matter what she did at, at the end of things, what she realizes that she's not going to have an impact, and she resigns. She leaves. Yeah. Right. So that's about the only thing that I really took out of her whole arc. I understand the whole political, like what she's trying to do, and the she kind of served as a vehicle to kind of give you an idea of what the streets were saying. You know, you had these street poets that were confiding in her with these things. Oh, I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> honestly, honestly, her, I feel like the, the best purpose she serves Robert is she gives Delaney Williams's character, the who plays Kevin Davis, the Baltimore police commissioner, uh, who was the sergeant in the homicide unit on the wire FYI. Um, and I think he was like a construction worker on the corner. Uh, she was a sounding board for him, and he has the more interesting stuff to say. Oh, yeah. he's really he's... his whole characterization is I'm between a rock and a hard place. Right. He his whole thing he... is look, you fired the last police commissioner after a suspect died in custody. You brought me in, and I'm inheriting all this crap. And now you get to <laughs> pin everything on me. And I know this, I'm here to be a scapegoat, and I know it. Like, he's a much better character. And to the extent that she allows his point of view and some of the realities that he has to deal with to be expressed, yeah, that stuff kind of works. There's better ways to go about it, but that's not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world when it comes to that character is the last episode, where I lost count of the times I rolled my eyes and said, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you want to let's sit in a court let, let, let's sit in the courtroom and just look at what we've done watch yep. this inhuman look, system yes, I can grandstand. like shut <laughs> up okay just, just contra- shut up contrast that with season one of the wire where again just the art of subtlety you have all of what's his nuts is people sitting there handcuffed, ready to be carted off to prison. And they're all, you know, and, and the tacit acknowledgement on McNulty's face that they had done so much yet not enough. And he never has to say it outright. It's just all the acting with his face and There's the a- acting with, with Idris Elba's face and their just sort of acknowledgement of each other with their eyes and then McNulty going, what the fuck did I do? And I, I think that's, I think uh, that's, I, I have the clip of it in my soundboard, but that's where Bunk's like, you happy now, bitch? Contrast that with what you guys are talking about. I'll let you go back to it again in, in detail. 
with you know where, where they, like they might as well have been like marching them off to you know a um uh you know a french revolution robert the guillotine you know what i mean <laughs> like it was so over the top you know and like and david simon i don't know what's happened in the intervening years between like treme and we own this city but david simon just feels like he's just given up like, like, I, I like, I like the guy and I like his show and I like his perspective, but he does feel like it's almost like that frustration. But Jesse, you and I have talked about this with like ministry and OTAP. Like we, I brought this up the other night where it's just like, you just get so frustrated talking about the same things and trying to raise awareness that it goes from being kind of like subtle and artsy about it to just screaming in people's faces. Like my dad, right. <laughs> here's where here's, Simon has landed. Here's the problem with this. Artists think what they do matters. And, wrong. For, and for and look, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm really not. Great mm -hmm. art is timeless. Great art moves the culture. Great art is beautiful. It is wonderful. I'm not saying don't make art. I'm saying the number of people who have a cosmically outsized belief in what they <laughs> do and what it actually affects is pretty big. Yeah. It doesn't help that there is no... There is no subtlety at all anymore. Like this is this is not just a David Simon thing. There's this almost mm. like anti-intellectual movement amongst producers or certain people in the creative spaces in Hollywood and television. It's like, well, people are idiots. So <laughs> let's spell everything out to them using small yeah. words. Right. Yeah, right. And it's insulting and it makes your product worse. So Jesse, I don't want to totally. I, I, I this is a conversation among friends about a show we all watch together, um, and we've had enough time talking to one another that we can we can just kind of kick things around. So I, I brought I started the conversation, but I don't want to I don't want to dominate. I don't necessarily want to host. I just kind of want to talk to my friends. So tell me about some stuff about what you want to talk about with the show. Well, I want to kind of bounce off of what you brought up originally, which was Hersel and his mm -hmm. character. Um, Oh, I, Josh Charles, by the way, born in Baltimore, Maryland. So oh, okay. a, uh, a, a Baltimore, Maryland man. native, apparently. So one of the things that is obviously evident throughout this whole series and the problem that Baltimore has is numbers. Like mm -hmm. Herschel gets out there and he brings right. up the numbers. What does that do? That makes the mayor look great. Right. But how does he do it? It ain't so great. By brutalizing um, people. Yeah. And the, the thing is, is that it's it's funny how it's not. I mean, it's really reality because I mm -hmm. encounter it every day at my job where it's all about the numbers. Mm. If you hit a certain number, you're good to go. You know, everything's everything is great. And if you drop below that number and this is the same for just about any job, you, you got a quota, sure. you got this, you got that that number drops and then things are looking bad and we've got to turn things around. But if you've got a way to bring the numbers up and it might not come into question how you're doing that. And that's what I led them down this path. I don't want to derail this, but I mean, like when I look at our podcast numbers, I have people like whispering in my ear, game of Thrones. Like, can we get rid of this person? Can we, can we get rid of that person? <laughs> can we not do this kind of content anymore? And I'm like, no, that content and that person brings in high numbers. I'm not getting rid of that person. Sorry. You know, right. but like I, 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 am so under I, no I am under no illusions about why I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> You're here because I love you. 
Um, and I will never uh, stop doing our podcast together um, until you quit and leave me. So there, 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 there's that. There's that uncomfortable uncomfortableness. Um, bounce off of. Uh, go ahead and bounce off of uh, what Jesse's saying, Robert. Uh, no, this is one thing. One of the failings of the show. And I'm going to speak in broad terms here because I'm, I'm going to contrast this with The Wire because that is the closest analog we have. Yeah. One of the great things about The Wire is they never try, they never shied away from police corruption. I mean, for crying out loud, by the end of it, McNulty is fabricating a serial killer. Yeah. Like, there's spoilers. Oh, who cares? <laughs> Don't give me that. <laughs> Poor Jesse has four. Yet. And he had and- <laughs> five. Season five. <laughs> Uh, now I'm at season four. I ain't got to season five yet, but that's oh, okay. Yes, and, 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 and look when it when it comes when you talk about the productivity thing, if I might quote McNulty, "Fuck the fucking numbers. Fucking numbers killed the department." Yep. But oh, shut I, up, I, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to. Well, I, hang, I, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. So, let me get to yeah. my point. Yeah. Yeah. The Wire did an excellent job of not shying away from again the kind of corruption that goes on with this in the mm-hmm. in the uh, in the structures that we use to build up our lives. In fact, each season deals with a different one. It's kind of brilliant that way. It also never glorifies or glamorizes the criminal element. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you could maybe argue Omar a little bit is a slightly romanticized character, but even then, I wouldn't agree. Like, but he's the closest you get. He is only in the sense that that in American mythology and culture, we romanticize outlaws. Yeah, like, like but he's not. He's never made to be. No, uh, and and the way that in in his demise, yeah. you know, speaks to the idea that none of these people are elevated in any kind of way, or or you know or or should be the subject of hero worship yeah here i think we and i get that some of this is what they're some of what they're trying to deal with is the specific medium the specific story they're telling is about the police corruption so naturally it's going to focus more on that but i don't think they do a good enough job of like there's a real moral dilemma that is present in this story that is barely touched on and you get a great example of it when they're talking about when, the, like, apparently Jenkins has a thing. Like, if he sees someone over the age of 18 with a backpack, he's going to pull you over and search you. Mm-hmm. And you can say that that's, you know, discriminatory or profiling and in all kinds of ways might violate your rights. And you're not wrong. But if you want to make the real point here, the question becomes, well, how often was he right? Like, how many t- how many people did he catch because of this? Right, right. Dude was good at his job. I mean, really, and, when he was when it came down to like figuring out who was the dealer or who he was great at his job. Yeah, and, and that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle here. There's just kind of this tacit assumption that you know, because there are people who are unfairly uh, you know, either abused physically or who are set up all of which is absolutely terrible and I'm not defending it. I'm saying if you want to understand the the true subtext here of what's going on, look at how, he mentions it a few times. Look at how much success he has taking weapons off of the street. Yeah. I got to uh, speak and, to that for one second because I, I want to back up your point. The show and and in this way it's a bit subtle. The show does speak to well what is the ultimate goal here, you know, and 
what is the ultimate goal and how much leeway are we willing to give them to get there? And it's the kind of thing that that militarization uh, deals with. Obviously, in pursuit of a military goal, you're going to do some truly inhumane things. But that is how war works. And That's that true. is what is said in The Wire. That is what is said in We Own This City. Once you have decided this is a war, not a police action, not a, you know, not a com- community protection issue, this is a war, then the rules of engagement in- change. And that I think the show does deal with very well and does deal with in a subtle way. That is the story of Wayne Jenkins and Herschel, that they are allowed to operate like soldiers they are allowed to violate human rights. Um, they are allowed to. They are allowed to float. Uh, flout. That's the word I was looking for earlier. They are allowed to flout uh, human rights protections in the name of bringing down what is perceived to be society sliding off into the abyss. Just the utter, dis- the utter destruction of Baltimore City society, Robert. Yeah, they are. And again, like my issue is. I don't think they do the best of jobs when it comes to showing some of what those people did as being like, hey, there's a there is something of a positive here. And that's that's where the moral dilemma comes from. And it's not really much of a dilemma if you think about it with anything approximating moral reasoning. But because people don't do that very often, you do fall into these kinds of dilemmas like. Is it okay to have somebody like this out there doing stuff like this to a couple of people in the wrong place at the wrong time versus all the genuine criminals and genuine weaponry and genuine crime that they're able to somehow to somewhat prevent or make a dent in? Like, that's kind of the question. It it comes up a lot throughout the show. It it came up a lot in The Wire. It comes up more. I think it comes up more here in We Own This City, especially through the Delaney Williams character about you are asking us to... You are asking us to fight a guerrilla war and not giving us the weapons or the rules of engagement to do it effectively, Jesse. That is the argument that keeps constantly being made. And the counter argument, the Nicole's point of view, the point of view, I think, from a lot of people, and I think this is where the show is successful, is that at least it raises the debate. Um, your violence may, may vary on how well they handle it, but it's, you know... <sighs> The sort of tacit acknowledgement that while we're calling it a war, we should not be having civil war on our own people, that the to, to allow the militarization and then subsequent dehumanization of an entire city population is not, should not be the goal, nor should any of the inherent consequences from doing those things. And this is the struggle. This is what Delaney Williams talks about through half of the show. It's like, you guys set the rules. You set the pace. You set... You set up the scenario. We're just now reacting to it, and now you're mad that we that you don't like the reaction. Except there was no other way. I I think my gripe with this, and this might be a small thing, but I need someone other than one of the cops to say it. Okay. I think the fact that this comes across as a very This part of the discussion comes across very much as, well, it's these authoritarian, sadistic jackasses trying to justify their authoritarian and and sadism. Mm. That's kind of how it feels. And I think to really make this point, you need someone outside of that side of the theoretical argument to point out, hey, 
look at all the again like this guy just pulled in how many rifles how many guns how many handguns how much weaponry has been removed from the streets because of this like i think there does need to be some in order to tell that in order to tell that side of the moral dilemma properly you need a third party to at least give lip service to the idea you about need citizenry to acknowledge that yeah you know it it, it may it, it's the devil we know jesse the, it, the the cops that are brutal but are at least protecting us from you know rifle fire from drug dealers like it's kind of a happiness and slavery argument i am willing to sacrifice some of my civil i couldn't remember the phrase civil rights before i could i could i am willing to sacrifice some of my civil rights jesse and i'm saying your name so that you're ready to respond to this i am willing to sacrifice a portion of my civil rights for the safety in my community to be able to walk outside my domicile and not have my head shot off and if some people got to have their heads cracked because of it oh well that's the world we live in and I think Robert's right because none of the citizenry steps up and says that. Like, there's that one scene, and I don't remember what part of what job he does or why he's in the show, but it's the black fellow with the long beard who's like, who who's telling Nicole that her consent, her pursuant of the oh, consent decree is bullshit. He's one of those, he's one of those like poets. street poet jackasses. Okay, um, but I'm, he's sure, like, I'm sure he's back in. He'll be back in Oz in no time. <laughs> I, and I wondered, I didn't have a chance. I wanted to look this up. I should have looked this up, but I was wondering if they were like pulling Baltimore natives into the show. We obviously talk about Josh Charles, but I was wondering if like these street poets were actually like street poets. Cause I, I don't know if the acting went so well for me when I was watching that. And I was like, <laughs> I, I think these guys are actually street poets, but it's uh, really funny. Like some, some of the acting in this, like in, in a David Simon jam, some of the acting, most of the acting is like, like, far none some of the best acting you'll see on television but you're right then they bring in like some of the locals and you're like yeah hey uh, you're sticking out a little bit there bro please stop looking at the camera <laughs> right. did he just say right. turn page what the hell um all right jesse we've been saying a lot um and I, I don't want to lose you in the discussion be like why am oh, i here? you guys are going so, i know listen so what is really centered in this show is greed and mm -hmm. that is the downfall for just about every one of these cops it, it, really they're just they, they want to get more money they they start taking get more guns and it's not just the cops that are doing that it's you know the people above them want to bring in these numbers get it's these guns off thing. of there i'm doing the right thing i'm not being paid my value and so i'm going to take a tax i'm going to take a, i'm right. going to take you know a slice and it's and it's dirty drug money so it, it'll just sit in an evidence locker. It'll just be burned, essentially. You know, it'll be washed away. Why not? Why not take a little for myself? Because it's not like I'm being properly compensated for the risk involved in kicking down doors. You know, of which we're finding high-powered weaponry. That's right. their argument. And and that's what makes Jenkins' character really interesting. At, at you know, as we go through the series, and at the end, he gets mm -hmm. really bent out of shape that people think he's a dirty cop. Right, and you're like, bro, do you not know what you've been doing for the last like? <laughs> Cognitive dissonance so is years. real, man. Yeah. But the thing is, is that he he believed what he was doing was right, mm -hmm. and the fact that he could be viewed as somebody. He, the other thing about that is, is that it's basically turned into a downfall of the justice system 
for mm-hmm. Baltimore at that point because anybody he brings in gets off and goes back out on the street because nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to take this person uh, or right. stand, you know, basically back him up so that this person can get convicted. And that's what starts this whole thing where he's like, you know, what is the point? What am, why am I doing this then if I can't get our people to stay in jail? Well, you've basically shot yourself in the foot, dude, because of what you've been doing. And dis- you've basically been sowing this distrust uh, with the citizens and garnering up so many complaints that now the justice system doesn't want anything to do with you. So they've got themselves in this vicious cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. And to a person who thought what he was doing was right, obviously, you know, he's taking a bad guy off the street. He's taking guns off the street. And guess what? He's probably taking some money off the street, too. Um, what he's doing with that money and the drugs, uh, you know, he's obviously a little confused in regards to how that should be done with, you know, how that should be dealt with correctly. But, uh, you know, it's greed. It all comes down to greed. We want more numbers. We want more money. We want this. Somebody, some human is going to be in that justice machine, as uh, what's her name put it, that is going to be greedy enough to make a mistake and just ruin it for everybody. And that's kind of what this show makes me feel at the end of it. It's just like everybody just got greedy and nobody got any better for it. And we're actually worse off. I, I want to bring this up. And Robert, you can weigh in on this. I was thinking about, take a drink, everybody. I was thinking about The Wire. Um, but I was thinking about all of the interrogation scenes with the guys from um, Idris Elba's crew and uh, and how they are all sworn to secrecy. Nobody snitches. Um, you take, you do your time like a man. Your family gets compensated. And, you know, and we can get you a better deal. We will. But whatever happens, you don't talk to cops. Contrast that with what happens in We Own This City, where they're all none of the they all understand how long term investigations work. And when they, you know, and when they're confronted with the fact like we have you on the wire, like the actual wire, <laughs> and they're all like, oh, yeah, so here's everything we did in vascular detail. You know? Right. Yeah. They, <laughs> that's they, so the says we're all snitching bitches anyway, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Like, yeah, he completely owns up to it. Like, but right. that, you know, and, and I bring it up because also it's it's a structural thing about the show. So much of the show is these cops telling the story and just kind of a we knew eventually the ground would fall out from under us. So we took the ride for as long as it was going to go. Almost like, you know, they gave before any of them take before anyone violate a civil right or take any money off the table. They knew the war was lost. And at that point, they were just like. Well, if you can't beat them, join them, and we'll go for the ride for as long as it goes. But when it's over, it's over. And it's so funny because they all think that everybody in the gun trace task force does this, including the guy who's like selling John Bernthal's drugs for him. They're all like, they couldn't wait to cooperate. And except for John Bernthal, who's like, who, who's the only one acting like one of the guys from The Wire, who's like, everyone shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. don't say a goddamn word. Don't say a word. And he as if he I doesn't know, know how police, as if he didn't know how police investigations worked. Like, <laughs> before like they dragged these guys your down that he was working with, and they're all I mean, like, I mean, they're just giving everything out there for, for oh, every yeah. single. And yeah, the guy that was selling the drugs when he came in and he had a big old smile on his face, and he's like, "Oh yeah," and you guys didn't find the key under the, <laughs> the cocaine. Like, oh. <laughs> That's so great. Shut up, man. What is like, now, for, that's that's my favorite part of the whole show. He's like, I see you got everything. 
but you missed the cocaine. <laughs> you didn't have to tell him that. There was so this was the point. That was the point in the show where I was like, I honestly thought Wayne Jenkins was set up here. I was like, maybe what we've been seeing this whole time has just been fabricated by all these guys around him. And this guy's an actually legit good policeman. Yeah. No, not the case. And also, by the way, it's about that time I got on the Internet and realized this was a true story. So anyway, go ahead. No, um, that's <sighs> yeah, go ahead. That's all solid. Um, <laughs> we may as well just talk about the elephant in the room. And this show is carried by John Bernthal. Hardcore. Oh, God, yeah. Like, like he, he, is he, is, he is Sean Michaels you, dragging you Hulk Hogan to something. <laughs> well, okay, it's not that bad. Everybody else is a solid actor. Don't it, no, yeah, it's not he is Hulk dragging this. He is moving this. He is carrying this material to such greater heights. Do you than it remember would be how excited we were about his physical acting when he was carrying the rifle, you know, through through the guy's house in The Punisher? I think it was oh, yeah. season one. How like wow. John Bernthal really like he acts with his whole body, and and since you brought it up, I'll I'll bring up this very thing. The first episode where they drag him into the interrogation room, they have arrested him. He you know it was this whole surprise, and he's sitting there, and the look on John Bernthal's face. Oh my God, Robert! Oh like, yeah, it so much so much acting in Hollywood right now is sort of basic. Um, recitation of lines, uh, no one, no one really putting a tremendous amount of effort in. Like it's all low effort, low hanging fruit kind of acting. And then you see something like John Bernthal, and I don't think people even tacitly recognize how good, how well he was acting in that one scene. How well he's just acting with his face because there's no dialogue in that scene. He's just sitting there, but there's, he's doing something with his eyes. He's sort of nodding gently with his head. He's doing something with his jaw. That's all performance. And I can't imagine that was all the director. Like, hey, do something with your jaw. Like, that. that's all John just throwing himself into that moment. That, it's brilliant. I, it I get I, – I do this show. I have these conversations. I talk about these things because that's the kind of performance that genuinely gets me excited about the medium of television and film. It's, it's fucking brilliant, man. It really is, and he's he's one of the great physical actors going at the moment. Like, yeah, he is. I mean, I'm not. I don't think he's the best physical actor, but he's got to be near the top. He's great with his face. Again, I think he's mm -hmm. not the best facial actor. Uh, believe it or not, I think the best. If we're just talking just facials, I think John Krasinski's the best facial actor in Hollywood at the moment. And don't give me the finger. <laughs> oh, you got me. <laughs> I knew where he was going. You are not subtle, <laughs> sir. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, if you look at what John Krasinski can do with just his face, I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at, I know it's a Michael Bay movie and it's not great, but if you look at his acting in 13 hours, especially the end when he tells his wife that he survived and his friend didn't make it, it's, it's genuinely You're, heartbreaking. Did you hear me and Andrew talk about that uh, a year ago or so? Uh, do, you remember, do you remember the on trial we did for it? Maybe. I think both Andrew and I recognize that if you just take the film um, based on just to, to go ahead with your point, you know, if you just take it as a film and you don't look at, you know, how well does it represent the reality of that particular event? We talked about how great John Krasinski is in that movie. Like he really is a brilliant actor. Yeah. And you know what he's, what he does in a quiet place, which is almost all purely facial acting because everything, mm -hmm. the vast majority of it is done with sign language. 
So it's mm-hmm. conveying what's going on with your face, and he's he's he might be the very best. Burnthol is definitely top tier of guys who can just, with no dialogue whatsoever, give a full range of emotion to a scene in a performance. And it's he, the man is amazing. I I first really encountered him in the first season or so of The Walking Dead, where he. I won't say he completely steals the show, but he he exceeds beyond what his character was supposed to, I think, just by virtue of his acting. His monologue to Daredevil in season two on the rooftop is the stuff of legend. It's so good. Yeah, there he he is the definitive punisher for a reason. Like everything he gets that character in ways that make me shudder what might happen with it when they try to revamp it on Disney in the near future, because <laughs> please let's, no, I'm, I'm already, it. I'm already terrified about what you're going to do to daredevil. You bunch of idiots. So Loki, um, huh. <laughs> I want to, yeah, he's brilliant. Look, every, I don't think anyone gives a bad performance here. Some of them, I, I think, and the material, some of them, some of them are very hampered by the material that they are. Working yeah. I was going to say, I, I think this. I think in a lot of cases, look, a lot of this show, at least a third of this show, is people giving a recitation of events through an interrogation. No one, you know, this was my argument. I can't remember which show we were talking about, but or, or movie. But I kept saying, like, stop expecting people in the military start screaming at the camera, like they're these are supposed, you know, these are supposed to be composed people. You're a lot of this show is lawyers talking to cops. So much of it. They're not, you know, so you're getting dramatic performances, but you're getting dramatic performances that are tempered by the situations that they're put in. So you're not going to have an overdramatic, almost overacted, like a few good men. You can't handle the truth, which is great. And it's a lot of fun to watch Jack Nicholson, you know, shove his cock into Tom Cruise's face. However, that's just not, you know, the, the show is going for an element of realism that a few good men wasn't going for. Uh, so you're not going to, so realism and Andrew Sorkin <laughs> are about as far apart from each other as you can get. <laughs> um, but I, I just you know, you might watch this. Sh- I, I, I would not discredit anyone's performance in this. They're doing what I think what is asked of them in the situations that are presented. I do want to talk about sort of the conclusion of this thing um, as we start to get on an hour here. Can I'm I just you guys say, want to go for the two to three hours. No, no, no. Can I just say that when they got to that ending and they're like flashing the t- the title card, the you know, inter- the uh, mm-hmm. di- the text boxes about what happened, I I had forgotten a couple of those points because I around the time that this is set, mm-hmm. uh, I, my interest in politics as a general rule tends to wax and wane depending on where we are in the electoral cycle. There are people who, I mean, there are people who make their jobs talking politics, and mm-hmm. fair enough, man. If you can tolerate that and not lose, not become so stressed that your fingernails and hair fall out, Godspeed and party on. I can't do it. Right. But when we get closer to election cycles, I tend to pay more attention because, well, big, more important things are happening and things that I need to pay, that you need to pay attention to. So I was paying a bit more attention around the times of these riots in Baltimore. And first of all, mm. to the city council, like the deputy mayor or whatever said, no, we call them uprisings now. I rolled my eyes and went, oh, fuck off, as I do to everyone <laughs> who has ever referred to those riots as that. Yeah. 
there was there was a concerted effort. Like we don't want to riot. What if it was an uprising? Yeah, no. 1984 is here, ladies and gentlemen. It's gotten to the point where, hey, there was a riot at the Capitol. Well, it was an insurrection attempt. Well, hang on. that <laughs> You don't have the evidence to prove what that word means. It was a riot, and it was a terrible thing to happen, and I hope everyone who broke the law is fully prosecuted. But words have meaning, and <laughs> they... Words used to have meaning, Mark. I remember a time when literally meant literally, not figuratively. And yet people misused literally so much that the good people at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary Factory caved and said literally can now mean not literally. You yeah, again, it, I don't know if in the current culture that we're living in, where um, it's easier to ban books and pass laws about what we can and can teach people um, than, you know, educating people appropriately so they can make sound decisions as adults. So I wonder if 1984 is still something that kids read, but you should, because that's what we're living in and are... how prescient it was when it was written. Man, I had not realized, I think, until like the last eight months or so, Mm -hmm. how much new speak we have right now like the, mm, like yeah. i had just literally not realized how bad that had gotten until uh, again like a, a few months ago i started like paying attention to some of the crap coming out of the white house and it i'm not saying it was great under trump like this is a cultural thing that more so than an administrative thing but the last like couple of months for some reason i just started realizing like man words don't mean anything anymore yeah no, like, no, they don't. It, it, like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> but that, but I think that dovetails into my biggest issue with the show. For for the Ronnie Adams and the Chris Bailey's of the world, I like the show just fine. I enjoy you know, it. I love. I like David fine. Simon. I just fine. Um, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's on fine. I love it. Um, I love it. <laughs> uh, my dad's like, do you know that that looks like Oregon Trail? Yes, motherfucker. Um, I just, like, <laughs> got, I've got <laughs> cholera. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, let me tell you about the Oregon Trail, son. Let me uh, check yeah. out my dad on TikTok. Um, anyway, I, on my wasted, TikTok, as a matter of fact. I wasted so I, I got one of those times playing that game back in grade school. Stumbled I was across. Say, I wasted so much. I think you say I wasted so much time watching your dad on TikTok. I'm like, he no, no, one. no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, 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 I got the Buffalo Stampede event, and if you do that, there's a metric ton of buffalo that you can shoot. Right. Well, it turns out you have a carrying. You have a. There's a load limit on your wagon. Oh no! I killed so many buffalo. <laughs> Had to leave so many of them just to rot. It felt so bad. Way to go. Small All me right. as a child, it felt so bad. Jesse, this is the last thing we're going to talk about, and that is, you know, The Wire, when it ended, and I don't want to give too much away because you still haven't watched it yet. Serial The killer. Wire. Go ahead. The Wire the, <laughs> the wire is the story of one, of one cop's utter frustration with the concentric circle of um, ineffectualness of the, of the drug war. That's what The Wire is about. It's about McNulty sort of descent into hell. And when it's over and McNulty realizes, you know, he is he's exactly where he's gone a full 360 degrees. He's exactly where he was at the end of season one, which is what the fuck have I done? And why did none of it matter? Every 
bit of sandcastle he had built up had been washed away and slipped through his hands. That's the story of The Wire, and it's well told. Um, it's bleak. It's it's a it's a uh, it's a tragedy, but it's a well told tragedy. I watched We Own This City, and for the Ronnie Adams and Chris Bailey's of the world, I like the show. It's fine. I like David Simon. I like this sort of thing. This speaks to me in a language that I understand, and I enjoy, and I wrap myself around it, you know, with like it's a blanket. However, that doesn't mean it's perfect. Um, and my issue with it is, I don't think this told a well-told story. Um, I feel like this was an interpretation of the nonfiction book. It's like this nonfiction book talks about this investigation. Let's take elements from this and put it up on screen. So people know about it. We'll use it as a way to speak to police brutality and the antagonistic relationship between the African-American people and the police department. That is a big cultural touchstone and talking point in the national conversation right now. And when it was over, I was like, and what is the point? Uh, the point there is, is police are the, the, the police can be corrupt, and when you know, and with enough of evidence, they'll go to prison. Yeah, are you like? I, oh, okay. Did you know this? <laughs> did you know this beforehand going into it? What revelatory <laughs> thing did we right. in this city, you know, show you? I, I, a bad really. cop went. A bad cop went to prison, and the and if you're using if you're using the Baltimore Police Department as as an example, that the police are too far gone. We're too far down the rabbit hole with the drug war that this can't be fixed. But we knew that in the wire. Yeah. So there's yeah, a whole I mean, line about like, this is a super tanker. You can't turn it around that quickly. And, and there isn't enough will or enough people in place long enough to do so. Okay. Yeah. We got all that the first time you said it. So I look at, we, we own this city and it, it just, to me, Jesse, and I'll shut up so you can talk. Um, it just feels like, David Simon needed a vehicle to talk about mm, police are bad and he did it. And it was like, uh-huh. Okay. No one's disagreeing with you, but is there a point to this? Is there a story here? Is there a grand tale that is unfolding and is, you know, satisfactory concluded or is it the fucking Sopranos where the thing just kind of ends and you're like, I, <laughs> you know, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. You got to remember, this is a adaptation of an actual event. So, right. You know, this is probably what they were probably aiming for is just to do kind of like what you said, like this happened. We're mm -hmm. going to actually show the people uh, in a certain way. Uh, you know, some we're going to bring in some great actors to great actors, you know, most mostly uh, to show what happened during this period of time in Baltimore. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely bleak. You don't, you, you walk away with this, like at the end, you, as you're reading some of the stuff that happened after <laughs> the events of Wayne Jenkins, you start to see that they bring in the new police. Is it the, the new police commissioner? The new police commissioner who's you're gone right. a few weeks. He's got like a couple of months. Tax evasion. On, on tax evasion. Dude's the, out of there. Amongst and then other the, things. And the mayor. Mayor. I think the and one so thing that got me, which I laughed at, was like they had end, they temporarily ended plainclothes policing and brought it right back again. Tied in, <laughs> tied out. Tied in, Where, tied out. So I, I, when you look at what they're trying to get across here, it's, yeah, it is something we already know, but it is a way of showing you, hey, it, it's 
Something has to change. What is it that's going to change? This show doesn't show you how that's going to happen. It's just going right. to present the problem. It's just going yeah. to show you this is the problem. Now, where do we go from here? David Simon, I don't know if he has any answers. He's just showing us what's going on. And it's a it's a recitation what, of elements of an event that happened. That's all the show right. announced to. We can't, you know, we have to we have to move forward in some way real quick. I'll turn you, I'll turn over, let you turn over to Winfrey real quick. I pulled up Newsweek here just to kind of see what, what's going on with Wayne Jenkins here. I'll read a little bit of this last paragraph. So in September of 21, Jenkins spoke with BBC journalist, Jessica Lucenop from behind bars where he claimed he never took any money from Baltimore citizens. All right. Jenkins okay. said, I never had theft complaints because I never took money off individuals. I did give drugs to Donnie. Uh, and then he, that, he says, Donnie Stepp, who testified he and Jenkins sold a million dollars worth of narcotics. Uh, for the last couple of years, I was police, but I didn't take people's money because then they would know you were dirty. Explaining the tactics of the gun trace task force. He also told the publication, this is a saying we state. Don't let probable cause stand in the way of a good arrest. If you've got <laughs> to lie about what you've seen. <laughs> if you've got Where? to lie about what if you've that seen. Don't just say it all. <laughs> you, if you've got to lie about what you've seen or what you heard or what you had witnessed. As long as he's dirty, he's got the drugs and he's got the guns. He did the crime. Just get him. Okay. Good stuff. Again, if that doesn't say a whole heck of a lot. Uh, <laughs> I think this shows at its best. Here's the story that is told here. And I think when you isolate this portion of the show, it works as a story. The, the descent of Wayne Jenkins from... I wouldn't say, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed new police officer, mm -hmm. but someone Boy, who when came... He, when he got out of that cop car and was, like, flexing, flexing his arm and showing his stripes and stuff, boy, I love that part of it, you know? Bernthal was just getting right into it, and, and uh, can, but he was enthusiastic then. When you, This is the story of a guy who starts out like anyone else who starts out in this job. Mm-hmm. And the circumstances around him are such and are so oppressive that you do wind up wondering how could you turn out any other way? Yeah. Like that's, that's a bit of the point. Like this guy didn't, he did not come into his first day on the job and go, you know what? I feel like just kicking a few people, <laughs> taking their money. Like that's no, Almost no one starts out with that mindset. You just, right. But you look at, you know, some of the, his training officers and some of the stuff he came up around and what he saw and the way he sees other people stealing, you know, taking money from drug busts and whatnot. And they're getting, they're, you know, living a higher life than him, but ostensibly we're all making the same paycheck, right? You're a cop. I'm a cop. You're not a higher rank than I am here. You are buying whatever. And here's me, like, how much of that shit sandwich are you going to eat before you start going, you know what, if literally everyone is monkeying around with this to one degree or another, am I going to be the sucker? Am I right. going to be this stupid? And that's a test of character that shockingly few people will ever pass. Yeah. 
And when you focus on that portion of this story, I think it works very well because it's a very human story to the point where, you know, as he's in the yard in prison, he's remembering the speech he gave to uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of incoming train, uh, incoming new officers and is visualizing, you know, every one of his superiors and his peers and them, you know, celebrating him Stand, standing ovation. Yeah. When you know, this is ultimately where it got him. And it is a, a tragic cautionary tale in that respect. The other thing that I think works and this worked all, this was one of the stuff that you know, when you get to the upper echelon of the politics involved here, this worked for me. Like, Hey, we've got this consent decree when it, when it actually gets passed and here's the poor police commissioner. Like I'm willing to do this. I, I'm here. Here's what we have to do. I'm willing to do this. That's, we can do a lot of this. Well, okay, but who's going to pay for it? Because mm, right. this ultimately is... Well, you know, can you just take it out of the rest of your budget? No. Do you <laughs> have, like, but we just gave you so much money. Yes. And, and this is not about a raw number. It's like, you give me a... The police department might get a lot of money. But look at how much we're having to spend and now you want me to spend more like we're dealing with percentages here this is not about the raw numbers at the moment well it could come from all these things that the mayor campaigned on and probably was stealing from well no you can't take it from my babies all right not then my again, babies you wind up you know indicted for tax fraud and a few other things <laughs> because yeah. such is the nature of politics i suppose and those who seek the power that comes with public office. When you when you actually encounter the utter intransigence of any sort of uh, political system like that, that's what I find interesting because that's more true to life than a lot of stuff. Like trying to get stuff like that to actually happen because it takes time and it takes money and it takes will. And you almost never get the convergence of those three things. So, again, just kind of seeing that play out a bit in real time. And it doesn't help that I'm going to phrase this about Baltimore in particular. And I want you all to understand that I do not mean this to be a shot at one side of the political aisle. But Baltimore has been largely democratic, democratically controlled for what, decades? At least. At some point, you have to understand that if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same result. Now, to be abundantly clear, I'm not the biggest fan of any of places that have been under purely Republican control for decades because that leads to its own set of problems and nuisances and like monolithic control by one end of the sadly fragmented <clears throat> duality that is the American political structure is a bad thing. Just all the way around, they're just different kinds of bad. And this is what you've got at the moment in Baltimore, and no one's willing to, no one in power has any impetus to change it because that jeopardizes their power. And for some reason, no one being negatively affected by this is willing to fundamentally alter the way they vote because that's the only thing that might actually change it. Even then, you can argue it in some cases. Like, because I'm, this is not me saying that 
the political right is the savior of the urban wasteland. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I am saying, how many decades are you going to do the same thing, getting the same result, and then wonder why this is happening? Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. All right. Um, I don't. I thought I, I controlled a lot of the conversation. I hit upon the points that I wanted to. So I just want to make sure, Jesse, before we go, is there anything else you wanted to bring up about nah, he- the show? You guys did a phenomenal job covering everything there. I, I, you know, I can't do anything but echo what you guys said about Bernthal's performance. It really did carry a lot of the show for me. I mean, just watching him come in there and he felt very real to me. Uh, That's probably about the best way for me to describe it. But I mean, other I I enjoyed what I was watching. Um, You know, if we could have cut out. I wonder if like they added uh, her section on. <laughs> it felt like we got to pad this out. We can't just have four episodes. Or we can't just have three episodes. So they, you know, they added the uh, civil rights lady in there uh, afterwards or something just to make things a little bit longer. Who ultimately it, but... must resign in protest over the horrific election of Donald it's, Trump. It's your turn, motherfucker. <laughs> and that was. So, I mean, that's probably about my biggest criticism of this, uh, of the whole series. But I enjoyed what I watched, had a good time, watched it with my wife. We, you know, we... What did Mindy, I mean, I know, not not to put your wife on blast or anything, but, like, I like Mindy's not particularly, <laughs> like, politi- no, seriously, like, politically motivated or, like, has a dog in the hunt or is somebody who, from all the years that I've been yeah. talking to you, she's not going to be like, Jesse, fucking Malcolm X, you know? <laughs> like, she's, she, she's not coming to you with that. You brought her to this, and I'm curious, like, like I know, well, like, I, the, like, hang on. The first time I made my my wife watch The Wire, her reaction to it was almost entirely based on what happened with the four junior high kids, and specifically how how their uh, their end uh, comes about, and that's what she viscerally reacted to. And I remember her saying, this is, why. Why, <laughs> "This is why I don't want to watch shows like this. This is too sad." So I'm asking you, what was Mindy's reaction to something as bleak as this? Well, number one, okay, you're probably giving her too much credit when it comes to the criticism <laughs> in regards to <laughs> a TV show, okay? Because Fair enough. The, 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 you know, this is a woman who loves law and order, criminal minds. Uh, she's mm-hmm. going to be down for any about police, anything about okay. police procedural. So this is kind so, of her jam then. Yeah. The, look, look, you and I have talked about homicide two seasons so far. What did I tell you? Right. I said me and her watched that back in 98, 99. Right. So we kind of okay, grew up enough. on homicide. So it's it's one of those things where, like, this is something we both enjoy watching uh, the the, you know, the the content, <laughs> I guess you'd say <laughs> the the subject matter is something that we, you know, we don't certainly aren't going like, oh, you know, politically we totally disagree or agree with it no it's it's interesting to watch these people go through the justice system and then like i said i had no idea that this was a true based on a true story i'm sitting there going like wow this is entertaining entertaining i'm like holy shit this is a true story and me and mindy were like immediately on the internet trying to figure out what happened to these guys uh so yeah it was you know it, we, we wanna, enjoyed it we had a good time I'm glad that Mindy was able to watch this and not nope out because of a talking dick. I'm, I'm really glad that we got past all that. <laughs> she she stuck through Pam and Tommy. I'll give her that. She she wanted a nope out so bad. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, last licks. Things left unsaid. Robert Winfrey, anything else you want to talk about before we go? Uh, again, like we're part of the reason we do this show 
is so we get to talk craft and criticism and we say what we like, why we like it, what we dislike, what we uh, what we don't think works, etc. I largely enjoyed it again. Like I had a once I caught on to what was going on with the the steel attorney, like that's when I that I lost my patience with that pretty quickly because mm-hmm. I feel it's bad. I feel it's poorly executed. Yeah. On the whole, this is a this is certainly a worthwhile show. There's a better show in here somewhere that I don't think was quite carved out the way that it could have been. Uh, and whether or not you even could under the under the circumstances with which this was made, I don't know that you could have done it any differently. But I don't know that for like uh, artistically, I see a better show in here than was presented. Is uh, maybe the best way to phrase that. But Bernthal's performance is amazing. If you're into the David Simon kind of style, this works. You've got uh, people, you know, doing good to great acting for the most part. Not all the characters are good to great, but that's a writing issue, not an acting issue. It's fairly short. I mean, it's six episodes, so you're not investing a tremendous amount of time, but it's largely worth your time and energy, I tend to think. And boy, are the David Simon like people uh, and showing up in every single thing. Like going back to homicide, we're seeing people that frequented the wire and we see Mm -hmm. them in here in this show as well, which is interesting to, well, he has his, he has his people. He does, but, but, but he also has the same people that law and order have. And some of the other like NCIS or whatever, whatever shows are, are are shot on the East coast all share the same actors and yes okay. a lot of them showed up in a lot of david simon stuff but they show up other places too like i remember like i think like Bodie, uh from um oz and the wire also shows up in like episodes of law and order so i i, I think okay. it's just he's a lot hang on. a lot of he's he's part of the reason why pretty much everything david simon does isn't real <laughs> okay if you're not um, heard the, my, hey I'll, I'll be brief you know, about yeah this. i don't know what you're talking about Oh, have you not heard the Tommy Westfall theory? Oh, oh, we're on Tommy Westfall. Oh, boy. Okay, hang on. This whole thing started as a thought experiment because there was a writer of comics, I forget the gentleman's name, who said, people who track strict continuity in comics make things too difficult for people <laughs> who write comics. And his, his argument is, if people who watch television did the same thing, do you understand how much television takes place in the mind of an autistic boy. <laughs> now, hang on. Here, here's the reference. Mm-hmm. There's a television show called St. Elsewhere. Right. Which is a medical drama. Uh, Denzel Washington's on it. A few other people. Uh, ran for, I don't know, four or five seasons. But the ending of St. Elsewhere is one of the more divisive finales in television history. It turns out none of it's real. It's all what an autistic boy is imagining. Mm-hmm. Here's where this here's where the continuity comes into issue because the characters from Saint Elsewhere have appeared in other shows. Okay. Including Homicide Life on the Street. Right. Now, if those characters who exist only in the mind of this autistic boy appear in any other show, the only explanation can be that show takes place entirely within the mind of said autistic boy. Right? Right. So everything that is so every character every fictional corporation, and there's a lot of those, that is in anything that St. Elsewhere crossed over with, which includes not only Homicide Life on the Street, which touches everything Law and Order does, because Munch spins out of that into SVU. Right. Which gets against all of those. 
Um, you have a few of them that appear on Frasier. If they're in Frasier, that means friends. If they're in Frasier, sorry, not friends. Um, Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. You actually, they are, friends is takes place in like you spin out these wild webs of connectivity all because of this one bit of ending to one television show. Now, no one does this. In fact, you actually get Doctor Who. Doctor Who is entirely, entirely takes place within the mind of a, that, that particular autistic boy. But, like, you can you can go fall down some weird rabbit holes with this stuff, and it's, fu- it's a fun pastime. Mm-hmm. But, so, uh, but I, again, I'm... the point there is, people who watch television don't track strict continuity. If they did the way comic book fans did, then everything that ever touched anything related to St. Elsewhere, and that includes a but the real kicker, like Star Trek, and Star-, Star Trek is entirely takes place within the mind of this boy, because the manufacturers of Star Trek uh, engines and technology as established within Star Trek is a very commonly used fictional uh, company that touches on something that was touched. Like, again, you get these weird, like Walker, Texas Ranger is technically part of the Tommy Westfall side of things. Like it's, it's wild when you get into it. Let me, let me share my screen, Mark. If I haven't been doing that already, I tried to. Uh, assuming Mark, 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 Mark might have had to step away for a second or two. Mark said he's gone. I broke Sir, Mark. I, in a in a few moments. You understand, Mark, to... that the wire is entirely t- entirely takes place within the mind of a thirteen year old <laughs> autistic boy. <laughs> you broke Mark. Mark's like, I can't take this anymore. It's like I can't believe this. Yeah. So I'm going to share at, at some point when he comes back. Hopefully, um, I'm going to share my screen, and I have the Tommy Westfall grid. Oh, you have the list or the flow chart? I have the grid. Oh, I don't nice. know if you've ever seen the grid. <laughs> I've seen but the grid. Yeah, it's got. It has. So the main throwaways. Share my screen, Mark, if you would, please. I don't know if you uh, if you can find it there. There we go. There we go. All right. So <laughs> this am I looking is at? the Tommy. This is the Tommy Westfall. You're looking at now, grid. sir. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Looking at now. Yes. <laughs> this is the Tommy Westfall grid. Here's Saint Elsewhere, and here's Homicide Life on the Street. Now, if you follow this grid, you can see each one of these shows is touched by something that was touched by one of these. Yep. And that's what Winfrey's talking about. It's it, o- it, it's like over fifty percent of television right dude i mean we're there's alf and mr robot yep because i remember this actually because mr robot had an alf episode if i remember correctly it did i I just read about that never seen it but i read about it um murphy brown i mean all of these i was on by tommy hey i was on an episode of becker seriously yeah when i was at hollywood extra nice i was on becker i was on um fuck i told i told you x files malcolm in the middle If you've been on Becker, then you've been you're a part of the David Simon, uh, I guess, universe in some in some yep. fashion. You can 20 can die happy. degrees of separation or something. I can now die um, happy. All right. Can we be done with yeah. this bit? Uh, <laughs> well, hey, I'll be done. Let me go ahead and stop sharing my screen. I forgot dead like me was. That's funny. <laughs> uh, a- anyway, so. Uh, fun little rabbit. There's your TikTok. I love the Tommy, Tommy Westfall thoughts, man. Great stuff. Good, good pool there. Uh, again, this is a worthwhile show. Uh, there, it's got flaws. It's got some stuff that just. If I wasn't watching to review this show, a lot of the stuff with, uh, again, the uh, 
the DOJ lawyer, I would have skipped because like it becomes so apparent what's going on. Like, oh, two lines of dialogue. I can skip three minutes. And Here, this- here's, what, here's what I'll tell you. I think the value of this show is inherent in the national discussion over the antagonistic relationship between police and the African-American communities. Beyond that, I'm not sure how worthwhile this show is beyond your own personal interest in the subject matter. So. Uh, it, I mean, Bernthal's performance is worth it alone, but... Fair enough. But in, to the extent that I get what you're saying, and I think you're correct in that assessment. Um, so I expect this will be nominated for a bunch of crap, uh, because of course it will. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you put that. Like, I'm sure this shit will be nominated for nonsense. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I'm sure Emmys if he gets nominated for something, but I mean, I don't I'm know. I'm sure man. the Emmys and Golden Globes will eat part of this up. Sure. Uh, because I don't know. I mean, did I, I don't know how much I'd have to go back and look, uh, see how much stuff David Simon's material has actually won prizes. I don't know if it's yeah, a lot of but, it has. Well, he's not directing it. He didn't direct any of this personally. He's a t- he's part of the development and production cycle, but he didn't direct anything. Which probably helps. Uh, but uh, also, you know, uh, look, let me put it like this, Mark. Mm-hmm. If The Wire came out today, it would be sweeping everything, and you know it. <laughs> That's where we are culturally. I, I, I don't want to disagree with you. One, I don't want to I don't want to drag this conversation out longer than it has to be. But I think my only sort of reticence to agree with you is I think there is a line of, you know, to where... There's just certain things that culturally we just don't want to, you know, I mentioned this with Stonewall last night, you know, cause Sean got up on his, uh, his, his hind legs and was like, Roland Emmerich shouldn't have been the one to take a stab at Stonewall. He doesn't quite have the precise hands for it. And I said, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Who else was talking about this? Who else wanted to talk about this? At least he tried. And I think he also recognized that, your your general audience that you are attracting to a major motion picture feature and wide release, you have to do things to accommodate them, or they're just summarily, you know, like the vast majority of people who passively watch movies are not coming to watch any movie about the Stonewall riots. You have to put something else there to attract those people. Uh, relative to the discussion we're having tonight, I don't know how much of this. When so much of your audience wants to watch The Big Bang Theory, I don't know how many people are coming to watch this. Well, and, or or hang want on. to deal with you're, it. You're forgetting what category this falls into for nominations. Mm-hmm. This would be for outstanding miniseries, not for uh, a dramatic, te- not for a season of television. No, no, I get that. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think there are certain things that deal with heavy subjects to a point that the Academy and the you know, people who make such decisions are comfortable with. If you go beyond that, though, if you start making them uncomfortable, then they don't want to recognize it because they're like, eh, I don't want to touch your show. That brings up icky points that nobody really wants to talk about. Like, we all want, you know, it's easy to, it, it, again, I go back to Roland Emmerich and Stonewall. It's easy to make the dummy observation of beating on people is bad. Cops shouldn't beat on people. It's harder to have the conversation of, okay, yeah, and what are we going to do about it? And why is this happening? How did we develop a culture of brutal antagonism within law enforcement? How did we get there? Why is this happening? Why is it still continuing to happen? What are we doing about it? Ugh, no one wants to talk about those things in any kind of real, you know, way. 
it's much easier to just sort of focus on cops are bad and just leave it at that. So I think the dummy shows that say cops are bad get the nominations and the prizes and the and the recognition and the ones that actually in any way point to any kind oh of real analysis, I I think would probably get ignored. I now must double check something related to this because you brought okay. it up. So hang on. Is it about like tangentially related television? Uh, <laughs> hang on. I am. Jesse, did we lose you entirely? Are you like playing Fortnite? I, I'm sitting. No, I'm sitting here looking at the Tommy Westfall universe. I've I've been oh, in. Uh, yeah. in Wait, so we have lost you. Got it. <laughs> uh, so... I'm, I'm about to post a link. <laughs> no, we. God, I forgot that they nominated WandaVision for Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series last year. Yeah, point, okay, I, I I win. We're good. Hang on. No, no. Because <laughs> Hang on. Because what won was The Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they did nom- They also nominated The Underground Railroad. Hang on. Let me back up one more year. I'm curious. Did Watchmen get nominated for anything in the year that it came out? Yeah, it won. Okay. Outstanding yeah. Limited Series. Watchmen won. As it should have. You and I have very different perspectives on that. <laughs> Certainly do, Ollie. <laughs> uh, mo- mostly related to its handling of pre-established characters. I think if you go into that divorced from knowledge of the source material, you'll have a better time. Uh, which I did. Uh, Chernobyl won before that. What is the point you're trying to make so that we can wrap this up? Uh, the The point I'm making is... In the limited series category, miniseries or limited series, which this would fall into, there's a lot more room for sort of experimentation with what they deem acceptable for awards. Like the part of you're right, the part of the thing the wire was having to struggle against was it was up against vastly more popular shows mm-hmm. that were available to much wider audiences than HBO. You don't have quite that same hurdle to overcome here. Uh, I'm not saying it'll win any of them, but I think it will get nominated. Burnthal should be nominated. I don't know if he should win or not, but I think he should at least get some serious consideration. Um, my last fun fact of the evening, I suppose, is it pertains to HBO. Do either of you happen to know the first scripted television show that aired on HBO? Mm. Oh, that's a trivia question I used to know, actually, because this has come up before. First scripted. That's uh, a... Was it Oz? It was not Oz. Can you give me a year? Uh, Not off the top of my head. Crap. Um, I might be. Would have been. Would have been eight uh, late eighties, I think. Wasn't there like a football show that was on there? It was like around the time of not necessarily the news. Nope. Okay. All right. What is it? Late eighties. It features puppets. Sesame Street. Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. No oh, kidding. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. The, the first scripted HBO, t- the first scripted series Me. to air on HBO was Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock. I used to love that show as a kid. Fraggle Rock. Good the stuff. trash heap has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That <laughs> when we're talking tra- Fraggle Rock, the, the trash heap has spoken. It's time to end the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> the yeah, trash heap- that's the way I'm gonna sign out every metal hammer of you. The trash heap has spoken. <laughs> yeah. And with that, so also ends our week of coverage here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. Um, our live stuff has been interesting. 
uh, I finally got caught up with stuff today. We kicked off the week, uh, Harry Broadhurst and I, doing um, the best of the collective. We looked at the rest of the collective 2022 Must have shows been a that aired short over show that aired over WrestleMania weekend. Um, Sean and I did a triple feature kicking off Pride Month. We looked at Rowan Emmerich Stonewall, Paul Horhoven's Basic Instinct, and But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, Jesse Starcher, <laughs> Robert Cooper, and I <laughs> reviewed <laughs> what? <laughs> reviewed Death, <laughs> reviewed Death Leopards, Diamond Star Halos. Uh, my son was actually on a Metal Hammer Review Extra yesterday for the uh, creator video that we reviewed. And uh, him and Robert Cooper had some really weird bonding. It made me uncomfortable. Um, that, that tracks. That absolutely tracks. <laughs> uh, Neil from Neil Blackwood from Movies That uh, Don't Suck and Some That Do came on with myself and Chris Bailey to review AEW Double or Nothing. Um, and then... I, remember, term- wait, wait. So did you tack on a review of The Irishman while you were at it? Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. We're shooting for 10 hours. No shit. Um... So, <laughs> and it's for the record, to all of you AEW bots out there going, no, six hours isn't too long for a wrestling show. Get bent. <laughs> I anyway. cover a six-hour event pretty much every Saturday, and it's too long for that. And I have it's better paced. Mm. All right, so we all—it's also been Terminator Week all week long. Um, I don't know why I decided that this week was going to be Terminator Week, but you know, it was like, oh, I don't want to do as much recording. I still recorded four days this week and multiple shows. <laughs> I don't know what I what I, why why I thought this, but anyway, it was Terminator Week all week long. So we have re-airs of our Genesis review, the long road to ruin that Jesse was on for the Terminator trilogy, where I explained in vascular detail why Salvation was not going to get covered. Um, you didn't. Have, there there was, was no there was no detail about why Salvation was not covered. Mark said this movie sucks. We're not covering it. It's. I said it's not part of the. I said specifically, and I've listened back to it now. It was not part of the Sarah Connor story. That's why it wasn't covered. Um. There are two, not one, but two, Everyone Loves the Bad Guys. The very, very first Everyone Loves the Bad Guys, as a matter of fact, True. was on the Terminator uh, franchise. So it was me and Robert. I I was on the very first Everyone Loves the Bad Guy. Uh, Who else would it have been? There. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, tomorrow is the second part of that discussion that he had with Ronnie Adams, plus a re-airing of The uh, the Boys Volume 1, the name of the game, Jesse. Um, that's Season you, 3 uh, dropping soon. Yeah, it's apparently it's already out. Uh, is what well, I, the first I episode saw, is. Yeah. And then we kick off Jurassic Park week on Saturday with an Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for Dinosaurs and Dragons, and then a long road to ruin for the first three Jurassic Park movies, then our review of Jurassic World from, I think, 2015, Oof. a source material for The Devils in the Desert, which is a Jurassic Park comic, plus a Hell in a Cell review. Written by John and, Byrne. And finally, we're Seriously? late. On, yeah. We're, we're wow. Week we're a week late on this because I was glamping, uh, but we're finally going to get around to Top Gun Maverick. And then, hey, they kicked back uh, Creator a week, so I had to rearrange my calendar. Live on the air yet again. So <laughs> this Wednesday, coming up, uh, June 8th, myself and Jesse will be talking Homicide, Life on the Street, Season 7. Plus, because I love Jesse Starcher more than life itself, we will also be discussing ho- Homicide the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we'll have a re-airing of X-Men Apocalypse uh, on the same day that I'll be taking my kids Oof. to go see Tears for Fears and Garbage. And that's it for me. Robert Winfrey of the Screaming Boy Podcast. Tell them what you do. The last time that doesn't work on me. <laughs> it was somewhat amusing. 
it was somewhat amusing, however, to uh, re-edit parts of the uh, second part of that Terminator podcast that I did with Ronnie, and I actually do introduce him as Ronnie Adams from the Streaming Boy podcast because that's what he did at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it made sense. It was it was contemporaneously accurate. Uh, I cover a bunch of stuff: professional wrestling a few nights a week, AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Fusion on Thursday. Uh, in fact, the episode that came out a little earlier today has a pretty fun Lucha match as your main event between two very talented gentlemen. And WWE SmackDown on Fridays, which was kind of the pits last week. So we'll see what this week has to offer. <laughs> okay. Just the last week, not good. Very, very not good. Someone in the comment section said, Rob, live stream of Rob during this episode. And it's of that, uh, the gif of Bugs Bunny in the prison outfit bank breaking rocks. <laughs> i want a, a live stream of robert winfrey as he covers professional wrestling it's just him looking into the middle distance um. i have not yet learned to hallucinate well enough <laughs> all right anything else robert um i cover prof uh so that's my professional wrestling coverage i cover a few other things on occasion i covered dynamite a couple of times a few weeks ago because uh the normal guy who does it was I available. made my daughter watch the MGF promo because like she's Why? doing a lot of musical she's doing a lot of musical theater and she has to learn to do auditions and she has to learn monologues for set auditions and I'm like hey here's a really great example of somebody who uses his space uses elocution and inflection doesn't really matter that you don't know what the hell he's talking about what you need to know is how he did it the way he did it the performance in and of itself as a monologue it's a really great example of how a monologue should go uh so i made her watch the mgf promo aside from that i thought it was a good example for uh for a, a monologue audition i just thought it was a hell of a promo i mean it, I, it, it definitely more to how pathetic the promo game is at the moment across the board as a general rule <laughs> He MJF is the only guy in 2022 who could do a work shoot promo and not have the audience collectively roll their eyes at him. He's the only one. I, I, I said this to when my daughter was asking, like, what what was the context? And I said, you know, wrestling works best when it when when truth informs the story. And there's obviously a lot of truth in what he was saying. He was but just like when CM Punk did his pipe bomb and, and Triple H was like, yeah, we didn't really let him go out with a live mic and say, I wish Vince McMahon were dead. We obviously approved him saying that. So, you know, it's 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 truth informing the fiction, and that's the best kind of wrestling. And that's all I'll say about that. Jesse Starcher. Uh, the, uh, hang ahead. on, I'm not done yet. Okay, I cover see. mixed martial arts. Uh, Saturdays, the UFC events for the most part. Uh, this week, there's an event. I will be covering it. If you want a full preview of it, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, where I talk the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, that event records li uh, records Sunday evenings, goes live either late Sunday or early Monday, depending on where you are in the world and how much I have to talk about and when I can get to recording. There's a My schedule is a bit fluid on that at the moment because no one wants to talk to me, so I get to do it whenever I want to. <laughs> and sometimes that's a little bit later than other times. So I will be doing that. Uh, let's see. Mark mentioned next week, Top Gun Maverick. I have not seen it yet. Um, but it seems to be getting reviews that are on the positive side Two, of things. $200 million opening weekend. You know, I mean, I you can't knock the care. hustle. I don't care about the financial returns. That has, that has like almost negative 
effect on my viewing experience. Okay, we'll, we'll discuss it when we talk about the money. I'm happy week. to talk about how successful it is financially because it is, and that's yes. a simple statement of fact. You know, it occurs to me in that vein, Doctor Strange 2 might not ever get out in China. Yeah, I heard that. Well, they announced today it's going to be on Disney Plus June Yeah, 22nd, well, so. here's, the, here's the reason, and it's not the two moms. Dude, I don't these... want to do this for another 30 minutes. Please wrap I know, this I'll, up. Be, I'll be brief, but the Chinese, I forgot the, I forgot this. The Chinese government. We've completely really... lost Jesse. He's fucking reading a comic book yeah, on yeah, air yeah. now. <laughs> I completely forgot that the Chinese government has rules about talking about the afterlife. Melissa, put your phone away. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that the finale is like the spirits of the damned might be a real problem and you couldn't really edit that down um but we'll talk movies again uh this tuesday for maverick and whatever else we happen to discuss on that particular show a lot of movie stuff coming out this month so be on the lookout for that we will be busy busy beavers over here talking all the films Yes, there's sir. The Jura- there's the Jurassic World movie. There's a couple of double shots that we'll be up to. I will be referring to you as Dale for the entirety of the Chip and Dale's Rescue Ranger <laughs> segment of our review. I haven't even watched it yet. My son, my son watched it. He and he was like, "Oh, it's really good. I can't wait to watch this it's, with you." I was like, "Okay, I haven't watched it it's, yet." Uh, yeah, it's good. It's, it's pretty it. much exactly what you think it is, and I don't mean that as a negative. Jesse Starcher of the Screaming Boy Podcast. Do your do your put your fucking comic book down, you nerd. Well, and do I'm your, sorry, and do your I was just sitting here. I was reading Daredevil. This is where Daredevil fights uh Vapora. She's gasoline fumes. That's I right. Have Daredevil to work versus... tomorrow. Why are I did a podcast on with... this, Mark? It ties into my plugs. Okay. This ain't show and tell, motherfucker. Get it done. Is that, is Baltimore, that... motherfucker. Is that Archie trying to press the plunger on the dynamite detonator? <laughs> that that is a kid reaching for a gasoline can. Okay. okay, this is the this is this is a great book. Anyway, I did a podcast on this. Yes, you you wonder where in the world can you find a podcast where Jesse talks about Daredevil going up against gasoline fumes? Find it on the Source Material Comics feed. That's where you can find it. Uh, on the agenda. Uh, Heart of the Hawk just dropped for Unspoken Issues. It's where me, Chris Armstrong, and Evan Bevins get together and talk about a story that happens in the Dark Hawk series. So Unspoken Issues, 90-centric comics podcast. We had a good time talking about Dark Hawk there. And this coming Saturday starts one of the largest projects I've done, uh, especially with Unspoken Issues. Chris Armstrong and I did a four-hour podcast on the Image Comics founders and their number one issues for each one of their submissions. I guess wow. I should say their launch titles. Uh, but guess what? We divided it up into eight episodes. So yeah, there's probably about 10, 15, 20-minute episodes. So you're not going to be bored by a four-hour podcast. But the lure of this is, is we count them down. We count them down. We go from seven to one and you've got to tune in to find out who tops the charts between you'll know me... by the time you get done with six because there's only one left <laughs> that's right there you go if you're following you'll probably know um yeah but we combined our uh, we combined our efforts spawn. To... oh okay <laughs> winfrey's putting himself down for spawn tune in find out if he's correct or savage dragon right. actually now that i think about I... it oh goodness he could be hot. He could be cold. You'll never know. Uh, but yeah, and uh, just tonight, right before this podcast, Mark, I'm pulling one of your deals. I did two podcasts in a row tonight. Ooh. Right before this one, I recorded an hour and a half on Panic in the Sky, which was a uh, 1990 Superman story. So that'll be dropping at some point as well. 
But uh, other than that, other than the fact that I need to plug Kapow, the pop culture podcast, because tomorrow I'm basically going to be doing the podcast that I was designed to do. And we are going to be doing a 20 movie draft completely on time travel movies. I'm participating. It's Dude, going to drop ringer. probably the next week. What's that? You're the ringer for that. that I can't I get told, involved, man. I told him he has to be like Scott Hall and just fucking take over. You know, like <laughs> just start shoving nerds in lockers and down flights of stairs. Like I'm just start your bitch. I it is going to be interesting McGee. because people you know who can, I people am, can... but you don't know why I'm here or what time I've come from. The way this is set up, people can like veto. That's great, by the way. I'm stealing it. Um, people can veto other people's submissions. So it's and you only got so many vetoes. It's an interesting way for them to do this. So I'm kind of scared as to how things are going to go down. I know what number one is going to be. There's absolutely no possible way what I think number one is going to be is not going to be number one. That's going to happen. But Time I have how, what's that? Time cop. I'm just being yeah. Time cop. Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Ron, Silver. <laughs> Ron Silver. Ron Silver right. catches it all up. That's it, Mark. Go celebrate your birthday. Happy birthday! The Wire dropped 20 years ago, man. Congratulations. I actually, um, we we stopped talking about we own the city 40 minutes ago. I just want to point that out. Oh, really? Is, we are the worst. Anyway, um, okay, okay. Hold on. Nah. You know that's not true. You have been <laughs> part of worse outros than this. <laughs> Um, here's what I want to say really quick, and then and I'm just going to go right into the uh, to the outro music. Um, over the course of the 16 years that I've been podcasting, can't believe it's been that long, uh, I've done a lot of different shows. I've worked with a lot of different people. The best friends I've made in life uh, of the last 20 years I've met through podcasting. Two of them are sitting with me here tonight. Um, Robert Winfrey, Jesse Starcher. I don't know where I would be without these guys, and I would hug them if they were here. I love you guys a lot. And I'm was half kidding when I said, oh, you know, I want to spend my birthday talking about this stuff. The, the half that's true is that's really, really what I wanted to do. My wife's like, how do you want to spend your birthday? I'm like talking to Jesse and Robert about a David Simon show. She's like, fucking nerd. <laughs> um, but it's true. Um, as I transition out of doing this uh, four and five days a week down to two, I'm glad I, we were able to do this. I'm glad we were able to have this time. And as I go forward, it's something I talked about with Jesse Wednesday night. I really want to focus on talking to the people who I love about the stuff that I love and not feeling like I have to cover every Star Wars show and every Marvel show and every DC show because that's what nerd podcasts do. I, I really this show is a reminder of why I do this. Um, I do this because these are where my friends are. And this is an opportunity to talk about the things that I am passionate about. So I want to thank Jesse and Robert for spending time time away from their families and from the things that they like to do and the things that they're passionate about. Spend an hour and 40 minutes with me talking about um, police corruption in Baltimore. So a thing that I'm passionate about. No, um, to, <laughs> to, talking about a David Simon show and, you know, it's, it's, it's like a meme with me to talk about The Wire, but I really Just do. I really, really, this is one of those things where I love talking about it and I love talking about it with people who are bright and entertaining and challenge me. I mean, I don't know if everyone knows this or not, but Robert Winfrey sometimes has a different opinion than I do. No, <laughs> there's not documented, documented evidence of that at all. There isn't, there isn't a decade's worth of documented evidence about weekly <laughs> about that at all. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't want to end the podcast without acknowledging you guys. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for spending my birthday with me. So happy that's birthday. it. Feelings mutual, man. Happy birthday. Hope the next one's even better. 
as you march towards me? 50. <laughs> Dude, my 50-year-old birthday party is going to be lit. Um, we're going to talk about all the David Simon show in one night. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, we're, we're going to meet in Baltimore for your 50th. Yes. Yes. I Hold on. I'm joking. I will never travel to Baltimore. <laughs> Before you get I, any ideas, sir. I that is jokingly a joke. told Melissa, I said, one day I want to be roasted for my birthday. I, like, that might happen. Like, my 50th birthday is all the Rattledge and Broadcasting people fucking roasting me. My problem is, I think I, you guys would stop making fun of me and only make fun of Alexis. Having said that, be well, be safe, and behave. Oh.